This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. Joining me today are Jason and Peter. And this is our anniversary episode for the project. It's actually a little over a year now since we started this. And we wanted to get together and reflect on what we've learned, what we've done, and what might be in the works going forward. Uh, certainly, um, I want to just start by talking about you know some of our favorite moments and high points in the project. I just want to say thank you to all the guests who've helped with the project, to Jason and Peter for their assistance with it, and to any, everyone who's contributed to um, making this such a wonderful experience. I've, I've really been blessed talking to all the community leaders and getting their experience, and I'm so glad they were willing to uh, share, especially those community leaders who've been doing this for years and really understand what it is to be part of a community. I'll just say that in general, I'm not a I'm not a podcast listener. Um, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but um, I have enjoyed listening to the Happy Are You Poor podcast um, on some of our drives. We've been doing some longer drives the past few months, and you know. I enjoyed hearing from some of these other communities that you don't really get a a view into a little kind of you know portal into their life or their challenges in a lot of times. Um, I think one of my most memorable ones uh, were the interviews with Tim Keller. Um, I, I thought it was a really honest, frank interview with him and and going through some of the challenges that he's seen. Um, he has pretty broad, I think, scope of community life. Um, particularly seeing a lot of the, you know, how some of the trials and tribulations can come into these communities, uh, spiritual pride, envy, competition, you know, um, controlling environments, some of that, and, and that's some of that, that kind of, you know, resonates with me a little bit. Um, but also seeing that there are, there are, um, lights and there are, uh, points that we can build community and we can build relationship, can build culture. Um, and where does that, where does that happen? You know, it, it's easy to, it's easy to dwell on the, the wrongs and not see the rights and vice versa. And so where, where does this happen? Um, I also enjoyed the Bruderhof uh, conversation. Uh, well, I don't think I could see our family living there. And, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be something that maybe my cup of tea, but I really enjoyed listening to um, the conversation about the Bruderhof community, um, just the total communal economics of it all. The, I mean, it was a it was a true, full on commitment in this community, and it sounded beautiful. <laughs> um, but again, you know, it's something that I don't know if I could completely see myself there. So that was a great reflection on me and uh, for me, and reflection on you know what would it take to start something like this? Or what would it take for me to be in Christian community? So I, I really enjoyed those. Of course, I loved the Laudato C episodes as well, being part of that, you know, doing research. It was great for me to learn and to read it again. And I enjoyed that. So thank you for that opportunity, Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed that too, you know, rereading Laudato C. Uh, so much has changed in my life in the five years, well, four, four years, maybe since I'd read it last and, uh, you know, uh, coming, coming to a deeper understanding it from a new perspective. 
So yeah, thanks for making that possible. Well, I too must confess that um, I am not a podcast listener with Jason. And to be honest, I, I've, I haven't listened to all the podcasts of Happy Are You Poor. Um, I've li- listened to a number of them. I've tried to keep on track, but um, you know, I'm just trying to think through the ones that I've listened to. But uh, every, every conversation you've had, Malcolm, has been really insightful and blessed for me to listen and to participate in in the podcast that I've joined in on. Um, one that comes to mind is the one you had with Mr. Kavanaugh, the author of uh, Being Consumed, and then the, the folks who started the Catholic Worker out in Harrisburg. Um, on the whole, I think what, I, what excites me about this project is, is the growing momentum um, there is in the Catholic community and, and the Christian world at large in rediscovering the kind of our roots in Christian community and gospel poverty and how much they, they go together and how really necessary they are for us as disciples. And especially in the world that we're living today, you know, the, with the secular, the hostility of the secular culture around us, whether it's homesteading as a, as and a homeschooling um, as Catholic families or living in intentional communities, I think people are recognizing the need to, um, they need that we need others. First of all, we need others who are committed to their faith and living out their faith, reflecting that the also that the culture around us is becoming really anti-Christian in so many ways and a dangerous place for our children to be growing up in. Um, so that there needs to be some kind of boundaries, there needs to be support. Um, so I'm just, uh, yeah, excited about, about the momentum growing here and, and the various people contributing, the various communities that you've connected with. Um, I know we've talked about this, Malcolm, but how great would it be to do like a road trip and travel across the country and spend time with all of these communities? And as you said, Jason, like in every conversation, there's something unique to be learned. You know, every community, whether they're Catholic or not, has something when they're really intentionally following Jesus um, has something to share and something to say. It's almost like every community um, develops its own charism and has its own. It's almost like an individual has a gift that belongs to that person alone. And so communities are just not, um, you know, to be replicated. I mean, in a, in a way they are, but uh, what I'm finding is that I love the the kind of the growth from from like the ground, from underneath, as an organic process. People people learning and growing, but also being intentional about like making commitments and and putting in structures and really trying to follow a way of life. I mean, it doesn't just come about without any planning and any uh, you know f- foresight. Um, so. So yeah, just excited to to continue to be part of the conversation and um, to help encourage all of us to to follow this this direction that I think is so needed for the church right now and and for the world. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know our so like I'm doing the ongoing series on Laudato Si with Jason, the ongoing series on Let Us Dream with Peter, and I think they're a good counterpoint to the stories of the communities. You know, kind of a more kind of the, the theoretical spirit, spirituality and, and um, ideas that would underlie the practice that we're seeing in in the communities. 
um, that we're interviewing. And I also really like the one with uh, Kavanaugh talking about the Eucharistic dimension to community and how if we're centered on the Eucharist, how could we not be communal as Catholics? That's a really key aspect to our faith because too often, you know, the Eucharist is seen as a personal thing. You know, I'll go get communion for myself without reflecting what the word communion means, what the sacrament is all about, of building us into the mystical body. And I think one of my favorites was the one with Madonna House. Um, it, like, it was one of the ones where I was, you know, like, came away from the podcast thinking, uh, boy, I would just love to go and, and live there. You know, <laughs> I don't know if I would ever do that, but um, just the, I think what really struck me at that one was, Augustine, the, the member of the community that I was uh, interviewing, said that he had tried out with a monastery before he went and made a lifelong commitment to Madonna House. And the monks, there was a big difference between him as a visitor and the monks as monks. He said they all struck him as really holy people. And he didn't see himself as a really holy person, so he didn't know if he could fit. But at Madonna House, he said the people are all just people, good people people who are trying to love God, but just ordinary, everyday human beings who are making a commitment to the Lord. And that really uh, resonates with me. That, and, and I think that you can find similar uh, discussions in a lot of the episodes, certainly the one with Tim Keller, about how community is not for like the Catholic or Christian superhero. Um, in fact, those people will probably not fare well in a community. Because in a community, going way back to the the first one with Peter's friend Aaron, that in a community you can't hide your faults and failings. They will be, you'll be seen for who you really are. And in that process, you'll find virtue, not in the process of pretending to be uh, perfect, which is easy to do for someone, you know, you only see occasionally. So I think that to me is one of the, one of the key themes uh, coming out in a lot of the episodes, the humility that's needed in community and that actually quite apart from, you know, like being a way to get away from all the messiness of life. It's a way to experience the messiness of life together so that one can grow from it. Dare I say, even learning about these communities, it's an opportunity for me to recognize that, you know, how um, closed off or I guess, you know, vain or fake I am when I go out, you know, of my house and how that, you know, that's something that we just automatically do a lot of times. It's something that we just put on the space when we walk out. Whereas when a lot of these communities, you're, you know, forced to live in close enough quarters or close enough situations and just um, that your, your, face isn't always on, <laughs> right? And so you're, you a lot of times have to go out and you're not ready. Uh, your kids aren't acting perfectly <laughs> most often. Um, you may have outbursts every now and then that you don't want the world to see. But, you know, when you're in these communities, you know, everything's out there. And so it really helps me to recognize even not living in an intentional direct community how often do I do that? How often do I just go out and, you know, try to fake it, right? And it, and while sometimes that can be okay, it can temper our, our pride a little bit. It can help us to, you know, 
self-center ourselves and recognize what should we be doing. It can also prevent us from being um, evangelical. It can be prevent us from being that uh, courageous witness of Christianity a lot of times. Um, it can prevent us from going up to that person and, and, you know, not just ignoring them having a hard time, but, you know, figuring out why, you know, or what can you do to help? So it's it's a great, um, I think, example, even for those who don't live in community. Yeah, I'm reminded of, of some themes that continue to surface in Pope Francis's thought and pontificate, but he, he really talks about the danger of um, self-isolation and consumerism. You know, consumerism really focusing on the self and uh, an isolation, a life in isolation from others, uh, because we need to be, we need other people to become truly ourselves. Um, we were made for relationship with God and also each other. And without both, we can never attain the fullness of our being. Um, so I, I'm, I'm reflecting on a, almost a change in mindset that I think we're being invited to that can serve as something of a foundation for growth and community and which a lot of the podcasts have focused on um, a lot of the members of, of these communities are, are embracing, but a, a mindset that is, you know, it's not just focused on me, but on the world around me. And, and what can I give? You know, how can I serve those questions? Like I am not my own, as St. Paul says, but I was bought and redeemed at a price. And then he says, go and bear and glorify God in your body. So, you know, Christianity, it's, it's really, it's such a beautiful thing how it, calls us to really forget ourselves. Whereas the world, it seems like more and more is, is really, you know, encourages us to focus in on ourselves, to constantly have like the mirror up to our lives, to our face, you know, what could be wrong? What needs fixing? How do I perfect this and perfect that? Whereas Pope Francis, and, and, you know, I really think he's echoing the gospel, but like just forgetting ourselves and going out in, our weakness, kind of like what you were just talking about, Jason, in our imperfection and not and not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on, wow, there's people all around us in need of company, in need of listening, in need of a helping hand. I mean, even just like labor, you know, it, it's so much better when other people are doing something with you than when we have to do it ourselves. I mean, it just takes so much longer. It's more arduous. It's um, the company of others really, I think, lightens our burden in whatever we might be going through. I even found that on the Appalachian Trail. You know, when I, I, I generally walked alone, but there were times when I was really having a hard time. And uh, when I found the company of another person who could walk with me, it, it, like, it was like it made the, the walking so much easier. Almost I, I forgot about the pain, actually, while I was with another person because they became the center of my attention and it was no longer my myself and my issues and my struggles and the pain I was feeling. I wasn't self-centered. And I think that, you know, we can still have that attitude when we're alone, but um, it's easier to embrace kind of that gospel mentality when 
we're surrounded by people. And so that's, I think, one of the, the challenges right now. And I, I wonder, Malcolm, too, like in your conversations over this time of COVID and, um, you know, isolation, quarantine, how those communities have been faring, you know, how I think how difficult it is for people to continue living like this. But there's something of a security and comfort that we find in in the isolation, but maybe maybe losing our humanity at the same time. So community really serving to humanize us, um, and and all the more now than ever that do we do we need that? Yeah, that's you know it's interesting. Uh, I don't think I'm trying to think if any of the communities have brought up how they're dealing with it. I think not, probably because it is so politicized, which is yeah. unfortunate. Um, you know, we can hardly talk about this sort of thing, or at least no matter what you say, somebody's going to, uh, going to get upset. Um, I think, you know, for myself though, in my experience, so not personally living in an intentional community as such, but living with my family and we had to isolate pretty dramatically due to health issues. And early on in the pandemic, when things were really shut down and I remember I hadn't like been off our property for like a month or so. And one of my friends called and he was wondering why, if I'd, you know, gone crazy yet, but actually like it, it, it didn't have that effect because of the people I was living with. You know, we actually took it as a chance to become really intentionally almost like a, a you know, family monastic uh, setting, praying the hours together and really deepening the community experience uh, among ourselves and and praying for you know the the world and and all the troubles that were going on but like if i had been alone um i would have went crazy for sure i mean like no doubt about it so there's there's this that a community interestingly i would think one of like the practical advantages is even if they have to you know like had to during covid isolate more from people because of vulnerable members or whatever that um within the community. So like, that's, you know, like Pope Francis talks about how the pandemic in one sense revealed things that were already going on. So like during the pandemic, one of the things that really um, was noted was that the elderly people who were isolating in their homes were um, in really bad shape, but the, you know, like that was the, that was the reality. I mean, maybe they went out to the grocery store, but you know, that didn't give them too much um, help as such if we had all been living in intentional community as Christians, we wouldn't have had this problem. We wouldn't have been wondering who might have needed help because we would have known it. Um, it really, I think really the pandemic showed up the, the pre-existing lack of community. And I also liked uh, what uh, Jason said about, you know, being yourself, not putting on a face. And that's a difficult, difficult thing because it, it can go both ways. Right. Um, I recently got attacked by a bunch of people on social media for something I wrote. And I was really wishing that they would put on, you know, uh, company manners in public in the online forum, which they weren't, weren't doing, you know, if we were feeling angry in public, I guess it's a good thing. We don't start throwing the furniture around or something, but um, yeah, to realize like that, that outer persona is not ourselves. Ourselves are how we act in the family or in the case of a community in the community and have, you know, 
being in front of people like that, the, the, the isolated conscience you brought up, Peter, from Pope Francis, about the, how the isolated conscience will ultimately deteriorate into a pride and fantasy because there's no one to keep it on track, no one to keep the, the person honest. And that's whether, you know, he was, I think, more talking about listening to the church instead of making up your faith for yourself as you go, but keeping honest in life too, that community presence of people around you. I was just on a pilgrimage this uh, past week. Um, I joined a few young adults in walking from the city of Philadelphia to the church of Our Lady of Guadalupe in outside of the city. It was about 50 plus miles. And we walked for three and a half days um, from one church to another where we were hosted. And it was beautiful to see the community emerge during that time. Um, it was a challenging journey for most of us. And in the challenge and the difficulty and in the length of walking, you really get to know each other. You really, um, like your guard falls down. When, when you're exhausted, you can't really put on this front as much anymore. You can't just, uh, you know, it kind of reveals a little bit of who you are, more of who you are. And, but it allows you in a way to just kind of accept yourself at the same time, which is really a beautiful thing. And, and accept others too in their, in their, you know, in their pain and their misery. Um, so I, I just, I, I share that because, you know, we think of community as often being a stable place. Um, but I found it very deeply along this journey and pilgrimage with others because of the time we shared together and the labor we, we undertook. You know, it wasn't just like we were on a road trip. Um, where I, I do think that, you know, there's a lot to be learned from somebody in a car for many hours, but when you're walking and, and we were praying together and, and being hosted and having meals together, um, we had to look out for each other cause we couldn't just walk at our own pace entirely. Um, so it was beautiful to experience community and poverty on foot on the road, you know, for, the sake of honoring our mother under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And, and, it, and it really does make me think about the original community of Jesus and his apostles on the road, you know, as they traveled. They, you know, how, how that traveling, how that, their traveling ministry really um, kind of forged, I'm sure, deep bonds amongst themselves. And I bring that up, I don't know, because as Christians... And Bruderhof actually mentioned this to me before, members of the Bruderhof community, that they have to be careful about becoming too comfortable in these uh, communities that they establish. Uh, you know, they have sometimes over 100 people and um, can be fairly comfortable in, in their resources, in their education, almost like a little Garden of Eden that they create. And when, when we do keep in this call to, to ministry and to poverty in perspective, you know, it's like community and poverty ultimately are not ends in themselves, but means towards um, encountering God or serving God, loving God and serving our, our brothers and sisters. And, 
you know, that uh, how how fluid and how nimble was that original Christian community, even after Jesus ascended, how much the apostles and disciples traveled and were, you know, they were focused on evangelization. So I guess that's something that I'm reflecting on, too, in the wake of this pilgrimage that we had and um, thinking about going forward. You know, we need we need stability. We need roots. But we also need to be a people that are capable of being on the move, are capable of being going outside of ourselves and and not carrying too much with us. You know, that that's always a great reflection on a pilgrimage is that, you know, why do I have this extra weight? This is completely unnecessary and stupid. You know, like, let's just minimize to the, the essentials and trust that God will provide. And it was really beautiful on the pilgrimage. God provided everything we needed even and especially the strength we needed for the day's journey. Yeah, Peter, you had some a couple of themes there that really struck with me. The you know the the theme of looking out for each other, and what you mentioned earlier in your walk in the Appalachians, um, how you know that it can actually help you to forget yourself, um, quite literally. Like it's it's the it's the analogy of. You know, if your finger is hurting, well, then stub your toe and your finger will stop hurting. <laughs> you know, it's in a very much real way. That's kind of what you were doing. But yet it wasn't your toe that you were stubbing. It was you were taking on the pain of someone else. And that's the important part of that, right? You were you were taking on someone else's pain. You were looking out for someone else. And that's what I think is so important for any community. Um, we've been in I, our family has been in community when it was some of the most isolating times in our lives. Like we have felt lonely in community and that can happen. It's, it's that exactly what you're talking about. It's not an end to itself because if you're not intentional in living Christ and looking out for one another, it can become a way to just isolate. It can be, become a way to just close off the world and become a community of one. And that's not a community. Um, and that's what I think I've really taken away from the last two years, really, is that similar to you, Malcolm, as our, as our family has become its own community, we have started to find relationships deeper and stronger within our own house um, and relationships stronger that we may not physically see, but we have grown stronger. I think you are a great example of that for us even. It's it's funny. I think some in some ways we've seen you more often now in COVID virtually than maybe, you know, we were before. But um it's it's great how it's just that intentionality. It's 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 independent of location, it's independent of structure, it's independent of, you know, rules and regulations and all that stuff that people like to argue about in communities. It's that connection that that really matters. And so that's kind of what I've taken away a lot of it. And it's interesting how would you how would you phrase that into a, a, an ideal community? How would you phrase that into the definition of community? I don't know. It can it can have many different meetings, but it's the it's the um the focus on other I think that really matters. You know, this uh you know, you're both bringing up really great points. I like the the walking example. And yes, after you've been walking for a bit, whatever you're carrying with you, you start to wonder if this thing is really all that useful. Maybe you could just drop it, you know. 
it's interesting. I remember reading about how among some uh, primitive tribes that were always on the move, um, if a member of the tribe uh, managed to capture a large animal, he would immediately share up all the meat with everybody else. And the anthropologist who was studying them was like, well, you know, isn't there like a temptation to keep stuff for yourself? And like, no, because, you know, you have to carry stuff. And like, you can trust that, you know, somebody else will probably capture an animal the next day and, and feed the community. Um, because when you're on the move, you know, literally on the move. So that for us, of course, like community almost by definition is something that's going to be static and, you know, staying somewhere. But yeah, there is that, there is that danger. And I was thinking there's a, there's an associated danger of becoming, you know, we were talking about how an individual can become interested in presenting a pretty face to the world. Well, communities can do that too. I'm, I'm thinking about the interview I had with the former uh, Legion of Christ member about the cult-like obsession in that community with, you know, presenting well to the world. Um, that's, that's an alarming thing that can happen. And part of avoiding that is being open to the outside, being open to those who are not fully in the community or not even at all in the community and ha- letting them come through the life of the community. Um, so, sort of like being in solidarity with their travel. And that's why I think of the, of like the different models of community that I've interviewed um, I really like the uh, Catholic worker uh, model. And a, a few of these haven't been posted yet, um, but will be in, in the next few weeks because I've interviewed some more Catholic workers. And the, the downside of the Catholic worker, from my perspective, is that it's usually pretty small, maybe less than 10 workers and a handful of guests. But the, the beautiful thing about them is that they're, of course, all about hospitality, bringing other people in either for a long time period of time or a short period of time. And they're also about hosting what they would call roundtable discussions, bringing diverse voices in and letting them be heard um, in, in argument, in debate, in conversation, so that the community avoids that trap of being sufficient unto itself, a closed in, self-referential, the same thing that affects, affects the individual, but on a larger level. And I was thinking about how like the ideal, I don't know, might be something like a network of Catholic workers in the same area, independent of one another, but interacting with one another, and each, you know, uh, doing doing community in their own way, according to their own charism, as uh, Peter brought up, but um, but forming that wider web of community that's needed to really build a culture and a way of life together. Um, just, just reflecting on like the the differences in in like the communities, how how radical they are in in you know their embrace of poverty or hospitality, how large or small they are, you know what their focus is. I think for me personally, that's that is sort of the most appealing model because it seems to be able to avoid certain uh, dangers. At least if there was a lot of you know Catholic worker households in the same uh, geographic area. It's interesting you say that, Malcolm, because I think one of our favorite, our family's most strengthening and enriching community experience is something like that. Um, being in a in a mission location in a third world country, where you know you lived, you know, in a vicinity of other families from our organization, we didn't necessarily you know live together we didn't necessarily um have the same household you know or 
you share every single meal together, but we were there for each other. Um, we knew where each other were at all times, pretty much. I mean, it was a very close relationship, but it was also an independent relationship um, where each family was free to seek their own um, interests, their not own interests, their own gifts and their own uh, charisms. Um, and so, you know, we could go off and serve this one community in one way and another family would go off and serve another community in a different way and that was okay. And um, you met together and discussed, you know, how did things work and how did how did that do? And, and you know, how can I help you? And is there anything that we can, you know, do for you? So there was that kind of sense of that, like you said, almost like a um, distributed collection of communities. Yeah, and you know, as we continue this conversation, um, what what appeals to me, I mean, I admire people who are like forming communities, particular communities that almost have a admission process or come and see, and then you you join them in their way of life, and uh, there's kind of more of a structure to it. I really do admire that they, they they take on something of a character of a monastic way of life. That being said, um, while I think that's that's beautiful and valuable, I am also drawn a little bit more to something of the Catholic worker model, but even more, I would say, is a community I, I visited called the People of Praise. And I don't know if you've had the chance yet to connect with them, Malcolm, but they have communities across the country. They, I think, formed out of the charismatic renewal that began in Michigan a few decades ago. And the idea was for members of this community to, to kind of live in covenant together, um, to make a real commitment to the to the overall community. But within that structure, there there was a lot of freedom. I mean, they were committed to living in the same geographic space and um, sharing in life together, like once or twice a week. But it was very flexible at the same time. You know, there were prayer groups that were happening. Not everybody attended. There was there was, I guess, a balance between commitment and and freedom. And like Jason said, you know, freedom to pursue one's own particular charism and gifts within this larger framework. And that's what I really think is the church in so many ways. You know, the church is this kind of beautiful family in which there are like smaller groups and smaller families in, in which people have shared interest and shared dedication and devotions. And it's not cookie cutter in any way, but it's also not imposing to a degree, you know, when I, and, and even though there's a liberation in that, like when I visited the Bruderhof community, um, I think over time there would have been an opportunity for like kind of growing in the gifts that I, you know, would love to share. But like when I was there, you know, what they needed were guys to work in the factory, you know, for their, um, their toy making business. And so, you know, I, I just bring this up because it was like, that was the need in the community. And I would have had really in a lot of ways to surrender to that. And if I had joined the community. Um, so while I appreciate this, this need to kind of surrender, I do, I guess I'm more drawn, and I think a lot of us may share this just because we, we've we grown up in this culture that has allowed us to pursue 
our interests. And I think it's a, uh, it would be very radical for us to kind of cut that off altogether. And, um, and I'm not sure how desirable for, for a lot of us, you know, I, I do, I, I want to be able to find community in the place where I am. And I think that's, what's going to be most accessible for, um, practicing Catholics right now is like, okay, how can we begin to develop a model of life? That doesn't mean you have to like sell everything you have and travel to another place and join this community and be told this is the way of life. I mean, that's religious life in a lot of ways. And I don't think, um, the laity are, are in a position to really embrace that altogether, nor, nor should they. Um, so anyhow, that's, what's kind of surfacing for me right now. And I think the Catholic worker, as you mentioned, Malcolm does, does a good job of kind of allowing for like a, a shared ministry and, and, um, dedication to the people they're serving, but also free time for people to, to pursue and, and for, you know, also community activities. So I, I think that is, you know, these themes that are coming up are a little bit fluid and they're good. It's like, it allows us to kind of like develop community, even as we make commitments along the way. Yeah, that's, you know, one, I think this touches on two of the underlying tensions that I've become aware of as the project continues. Um, one is the, you know, like, as you said, like in one sense, we belong to a community, it's the church. It's just that here in the United States, alas, the standard parish is not a community of any sort. It's a mass stop where the people are, you know, all speeding out of the parking lot within five minutes after the mass. If you try and go and build your own community apart from that parish ecclesial structure, uh, there's a danger. There's a danger that you'll become your own thing. I've seen that. I've experienced that. Um, as Catholics, like we can't do what the Bruderhof did. The Bruderhof can do what they do because they're a church of their own. And that gives them a certain ability to, you know, like those inside are members of the church. And as far as those outside, of course, you know, like they interact with them, but they're not members of their church. So that's, that's okay. Um, as, as Catholics, we can never build a community that sees fellow Catholics as outsiders. And I think that's a danger in any more intentional form of community. But at the same time, the problem is with the parish structure being so spiritually dead in many places, um, there is that tension. I think we do need, like we need some, like a, a nucleus of intentionality, but that is committed to bringing others in to form, like that, that nucleus should see itself as trying to spark community in the wider um in its neighborhood, in its parish, in its city, uh, trying to see itself as kind of like a, a node or a central point from which the experience of community, you know, radiates out. So that's like one of the, those tensions that we have to not, that we have to include certainly all other Catholics, other, you know, really everyone in our, in our area, if we're going to be a true community. And the other tension is that, of course, you know, like, I think we can learn a lot from many of these communities. And, you know, as I said, sometimes I get done with an interview and think, I want to go join, you know, that community. That sounds so wonderful. But still, like the interviews are, of course, weighted more towards very intentional communities, the sort of people who would have a name and a website, a way to find them. Uh, just by the nature of the thing, I can't interview people who are just trying to organically build community in their neighborhood or in their parish. They don't have a way, like you can't, unless you happen to know someone like that, you can't find them. They're not an entity, not uh, learnable. So one of the tensions that I'm finding is how do I take the, the many lessons that I'm learning from these 
you know, very admirable communities. And how do I translate them for those who don't feel called to it? Because you're right. uh, You know, many of these communities we're interviewing are very much like monastic communities. And just like monastic communities, we, uh, you know, out in the world should be able to learn a lot from them, from people like Madonna House or the Bruderhof or uh, Jack Sharp's uh, Bethlehem Books community. Um, but they are, they do, the more uh, intentional ones do seem rather like a lay monastery. And how to bring that out, how can, you know, like, I'm not sure how we could find people who are engaged in a more organic work of building community in their parish. I just want to point out too something real quick that in as much as our parishes seem to be spiritually dead, and I, I do agree on that point that it can be very difficult for someone seeking to grow in their faith and find community, a community they can belong to in, in like your everyday Catholic parish. What I'm finding is that there are a few people kind of here and there in this local parish that I attend that are very much seeking these things. And I don't think they're isolated persons like, you know, okay, there's just one or two here and there. I, I think this is a, a pattern that's emerging across the country is that people who have hung in there, you know, have hung in, in, in terms of practicing their Catholic faith are now really looking for something more. I think there's a lot of people really hungry and thirsty in our Catholic parishes and, and they stay because they know Jesus is, present here in this community. They believe that this is the Catholic church. Uh, the Catholic church is the true church um, or, or, you know, holds the, the true teachings uh, concerning our faith and that, you know, but like, gosh, where, where do I turn? What do I look for? And, and I see little kind of attempts at more intentional community happening within the parish. Maybe it's just like a prayer group and people coming together once a week, but there are a number of people who are not satisfied with the status quo in a parish framework. And I do think the time is ripe for like being courageous and going forward, taking, taking a risk here and there within the framework of the parish, whether it's supported by the pastor or not. Um, because I do think more organic community is going to happen really outside the, the walls of the, the parish buildings and the church. I just think it needs to enter into more of an intimate space that we share together in our own homes. So um, that's that's just a, a quick, I don't know, side point. I, I think there is something, there's a, there's a growing desire that's emerging, maybe because of the difficulty of the times, maybe because of the isolation that COVID has imposed on so many people, but maybe people are rediscovering the need for other people who can walk with them in their faith. Yeah, and I would say even maybe go even more extreme is that I've met actually individuals very recently that, you know, have left the Catholic Church, but they are seeking. And that's still a thing as well. I, I think that's that's a trend that I'm seeing more and more as well is that there is a seeking, there's a longing, but because of the lacking in some communities, it causes you to seek elsewhere, to, to, to seek other shores, right? Um, and so it's, it's challenged me to not even put up that 
um, wall of, you know, staying within this sect or this community or this tradition, whatever. Um, and to be really, truly open, I think that was the message of Jesus is to go to the Samaritan woman, to go to those who were outside, who were left out, who were, had left in whatever way or possible that, that form that takes, you know, there, there's, there is a leaving that is out of longing actually out there, I believe. So, um, you know, I even challenged to go even more radical and go farther. Um, where can we seek out those individuals who are still seeking and searching um, and, and build that community? That community can be as organic or as unique as you think it could be because it's God, right? <laughs> he brings people together who don't belong together. That's what he does. So I, I love that concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just actually editing an episode where the community leader is uh, saying, uh, he says that the nice thing about community is that, you know, you end up uh, connected to a whole bunch of people who might have not been your ch your first choice of best friends. Um, and that's that's the desirability of it because it, it it mirrors the primal community of the family where we all join families that we didn't choose, who we might sometimes not have chosen, but that become more meaningful to us. Those people become more to us than anyone else out there, even if those other people have more similar temperaments or interests or whatever it is that a community that is composed just of people who have chosen one another because they all think the same way or they all, you know, have the same tastes. That's not a community. That's a click, a sect, an ideology. Um, and that unfortunately is what a lot of people think of. I think because we're so individualistic, when we think of community, we think, Oh yes, I'll find the people who think like me. And of course there's, there's this, tension here, right? That of course, you know, at the end of every episode, when I ask the um, uh, guest for some practical advice, one of the pieces of advice is you have to find other people who are thinking this way. And that's true. Like, you know, like to start with anyway, you're going to need some people who are at least interested in community. If they're not interested in community, they won't build it. But somehow we have to balance that like need to find other people who want to radically serve the Lord together. And that need to bring in all those people who are so very different from us in so many ways. And that, too, of course, is, is one of the th things I find fascinating about the Catholic worker witness, that there, you know, the distinction between the, the Catholic workers and their guests break down. They intentionally break it down, that those, you know, they've just taken in that are receiving their charity are members of the community just as they are. Um, and, you know, like they don't have to be Catholic or Christian or anything else. They just, they're just people who are in need and now they're part of their community. Again, like you need to, you know, we need to find other people who share at least part of this vision so that we are not trying to do it alone, but then like it can't stay there because that becomes too comfortable, too appealing to gather together with other people who are like us in some way. You know, I also, you know, th so this is making me, this reminds me of the need for friendship. Authentic friendship forms the basis of community. And what, what I'm finding, though, too, is that there's a receptivity out there for these ideas um, because there's a longing in the heart 
for the things of which community bring and and the fullness of the gospel perspective, which we, I think, are trying to touch on, uh, which includes community and service and ministry and a life outside of ourselves. But I, um, I bring up this idea of, of connecting with others, friendship, but also um, that there's, there's a place for like, not just maybe finding people who share these interests, but really, and I think this is a testament, a testament to what you're doing, Malcolm, to be, to putting it out there, you know, almost like creating the vision or, or at least presenting it presenting a vision and really um, inviting others to think about it and uh, inviting others to begin to talk about it, inviting others into something. It's almost like we need leaders right now. And I don't know how many people are really in a place where they're like, oh, this sounds um, like are ready for what we're talking about, but they're not opposed to it. And maybe there are ways in which we can begin to like lead with baby steps and and like stretch out our hands to people on either side of the road and say who wants to walk who wants to walk with us who wants to do this you know like i i really think like that is that is going to be a way forward like jesus was a way forward and his his apostles looked at him and walked in his footsteps and followed him and then they too replicated the exact same thing he did and others followed them so i think in a lot of ways people who are um, who have this on their heart are pioneers in a way right now and have the potential for really being leaders and inviting people into light, you know, stepping outside the darkness so beautifully as, as Jesus kind of stepped into our world and brought light and, and kind of drew us out of the darkness of whether we were living a, a life like myself with, in sin and without God and without faith into a life of relationship with God. Um, so I think all that is such an important piece. And then another, another element that I was thinking about, maybe as uh, Jason, you were speaking, was a, a saying of Pope Francis that I love to reiterate, but that is um, how much he would love to have a church that, that is poor and for the poor. And so it, it's there's two dimensions there. It's our own poverty, like us embracing poverty, simplicity, um, a, a dependence on others, a dependence on God, and then, but, but not remaining there, but being people who are seeking those on the peripheries, as Pope Francis says, on the existential peripheries and margins of life and reaching out our hands to those people. There's something of a, a rescue mission that. I've, I've heard de- described as like the mission of the church today that we're, we're, we're called to kind of go out there and rescue souls from the kind of the darkness and, and current of the, the culture and its direction. So that, that brings me to another point, you know, as like, okay, we're, we're, we're seeking to embrace a simple life and we're seeking to embrace a simple life with others. We also need to be like focusing on those who are, who have maybe who are go without, who don't have a lot of things or in whatever situation in life, they're um, broken, alienated, whatever it might be. I mean, we can all relate to various aspects of being on the margins, I think. But um, so I think that's another important aspect. And then my final point is the setting in which this happens. And I know, Malcolm, we've talked about this, 
But I do think it's important for our reflection, because when I think about a church that is poor and for the poor, like I, I just I think about the, the, the majority of where Catholic Americans seem to be living. And that seems to be the suburban lands, landscape in America and how much that can really take shape in a suburban landscape. You know, a suburban landscape seems to be fairly well off, fairly comfortable, and it requires so much, you know, because I, I live in one right now. You know, it's like, it's really hard for me to do anything without a car. I don't have a car and it somehow works, but um, I'm looking at cars and I'm really glad that I can't acquire one easily. But, you know, is this the place where I'm, I'm called to be? You know, are there other places that are more conducive to actually living out um, intentional community in the poverty of the gospel um, and on the margins for those who need us? Um, so I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on any of that. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, like this, um, yeah, like, like, as you said, like the people don't have to share the vision, at least not to start with. And that's, that's very important, I think, too, because none of us started out with the vision. We all had to get it from somewhere. It's not like we were just born, you know, like with, with superior perceptions or something. Uh, we all had to learn. And one thing that I'm hoping to explore going forward, something that I've always thought was really key to this from my past experience, is that to have some kind of community, you know, like leaving aside the special nature of Christian community, but to have a community of any sort, you do you need a shared interest in something, you know. Um, and one of the things that I found in, in my past is most helpful is shared work of some sort, of, of shared useful work. And how, you know, like I hope to explore in greater depth going forward, if I can find the guests who will speak to this, um, is how a community can build an economic dimension that will help to smooth over disparities in outlook and ideology. Because in my experience, a shared uh, physical project, in my case, a community uh, garden and farm, um, did, was able to overcome differences in ideology and opinion by giving people something that they shared in common, people who otherwise didn't have a whole lot in common with one another, but they all shared an interest in what was going forward. So they were able to come together. But yeah, you know, like your your suburban question is is a good one. We've talked about it before. It's a difficult one too, because we all do live here in suburbia or, you know, like m m the majority of, of, you know, Catholics, I think nowadays do. Um, and at the same time, like the rural landscape is been depopulated to a large extent. And therefore it's hard to build community. And certainly like I was looking at a small town in Kansas when we were thinking of moving there and someone said, well, you better be sure you have a really good car, you know, um, here because, you know, the nearest grocery store is an hour's drive away. You know, like the, the, the infrastructure has been stripped out of the rural landscape. And then the inner city uh, landscape um, too often is really high priced, even, even more so than the suburbs and, fairly dysfunctional in many ways. So like we've got these kind of three geographic divisions of America and none of them are particularly conducive to the long-term flourishing of uh, Christian community, which I think is one of the reasons that, you know, that the church in the United States is struggling because, you know, our, our very environment is hostile to it. 
I know I talked a lot about this lack of the proper built environment and economic structures in my episode with Dr. Cameron Thompson. Uh, Jason, do you have any you know, thoughts on, on like what we can say about this aspect of it? Yeah, I was particularly interested in your economic aspect or your shared work aspect of it as well. I mean, that is something that our family has seeked out, you know, several opportunities, quite a few over the past two, three years. And there are just barriers and and blocks and and troubles and financial hardships and issues that come up with any kind of new opportunity that you might want to even start, right? If you don't have a ton of capital, if you don't have a ton of demand, if you don't have all these economic concepts that right, you know, they 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 put up roadblocks for you. And so as a community, it can make it very difficult to have that shared um that shared work because you have to have the right gifts. And that's where it comes in, you know, you 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 have to have the people that have the gifts that, that that know what would work, right? What kind of economic models would work? What kind of you know physical models would work? What is in demand? What might work? Um, and so that's a lot of that is troubling to me. I've I've just I've um, spent many you know <laughs> many hours and and nights trying to think about well how would I make this work? How would I make this model work or this work? work? You know, how would I bring other people into it? How could I even start it? And there's so many barriers that are in our society that keep people from starting work, from starting something from the ground up, from starting scratch. And I think that even goes for communities. Um, so, you know, you talk about even <laughs> even the um, economics or the, the, um, the, the trials of finding a place for community. I would even point in that a lot of our rural lands now are prohibitively, you know, expensive to even buy into now because just the agriculture industry is has changed so much that now land has a huge price on it and it makes it very hard to even find land, you know, where you would do something physically. Um we've run into that now too. <laughs> so unless you're willing to literally go and live, you know, in some desert remote area in New Mexico where there is no access to anything, you can't afford to go there and build houses and community. That's a problem. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've struggled with that myself. Um, and so I keep on coming back to that idea of, you know, where is your community? Where is your community where you're at? You know, where can you find shared work even if that's in existing structures. You know, what are the existing existing structures you can plug into that you can find that relationship, you can find that friendship, as Peter mentioned, that um, that common goal, you know, whether that's even just a, you know, working in your parish garden, if working in a soup kitchen, working, you know, just helping out on your neighborhood street, you know, whatever, you know, raking leaves, whatever it is, you know, I know, Malcolm, you've had some experiences with that, but because <laughs> there always is, is boundaries for a lot of that. But, you know, it's going to look different, I think, for every single situation, per person, place, you know, that you could think of. 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess what's coming up for me is that um, going forward, like you said, Jason, how important it is just to start where you are. Start where you are. Let's build relationships in this place where I am living and find others who are interested in, in a, sh a similar shared life um, or at least coming together on some level um, and be open to, to where the Holy Spirit might lead. I think that is really a key. Like if this is coming from God, God will create a way. And so there must be an aspect of faith in this whole process, trusting that God, God desires us to live in community. He'll provide ways for this to happen. If we trust in him and continue to um, take risks based on the promptings that he, he puts in our hearts and not be afraid, as uh, Pope John Paul II reiterated so often. Um, so I'm, I'm really just happy to be a part of this conversation with both of you. I'm really blessed with your insights and your friendship. And I think despite our different locations, like if I were to be traveling through Wisconsin, I'd be like, hey, you know, Jason, what's what's going on? You know, what's going on out there? Is there a place where I might be able to stop in and <laughs> spend yeah. a day or two? And say, of course, with you, Malcolm. We'd have a place for you here. So welcome anytime. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it has made me do things, not made me, but, you know, prompted me to do things that I would have said never to. And I did say never to usually. That's the interesting thing about how the Holy Spirit works. If you say, I will never do this, mm -hmm. then, you know, keep your eye out for it because <laughs> it's going to come towards you. Um, I've, I'm in a situation now where I would have never seen myself, you know, two years ago or a year ago, even. Mm -hmm. um, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And that's how I think communities work, how they come together. Unfortunately, it's not something that you can always just, you know, plot and plan out to the last um, to the last tile in the ground. <laughs> I think that's, you know, I think that is so critical because our culture encourages us to be in control. Mm -hmm. And when we set out to, you know, build community, that's the temptation that will just import that mentality um, with us, that in mentality of individual control. And yeah, we have to be ready for the spirit to work as uh, I remember a, a spiritual uh, retreat that I, that I heard uh, put it, um, you know, you won't know, like when you set off, you won't know, you know, where God is going to take you on your journey, but he can't drive a parked car. So first of all, you have to get your car out of park. If you don't, if you're not ready to be moved, you're not going to go anywhere. Um, so like there's something for us to do, but it's, an openness, uh, a readiness to follow the lead of the spirit. And I think that's a, a great, um, you know, conclusion for this episode. I, you know, I just want to say again, you know, for, for three people here who are not really podcast people, uh, this is kind of amazing that we've managed to do this. And, and thanks again to both of you for, for helping to make this possible. And thanks to all those who have participated to our, our listeners. And please, if you, if any of the listeners out there have, thoughts for directions they'd like to see us go forward, questions they'd like us to discuss, uh, please uh, get in touch and let us know. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Malcolm. Thanks, Malcolm.